This week on the Tech on Tap podcast, it's summertime, so we dive deep into the fabric pool with our lifeguard, John Lance. Welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast with Justin Parisi, Glenn Sizemore, and Sully the Monster. I love NetApp. Oh, yeah. Hello and welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast. My name is Justin Parisi, and on the phone with me today are Andrew and Glenn. Hi, guys. Hello. How's it going? Hey. I, uh, I, I'm not sure what to do. All three of us are on the podcast. Well, yeah, but only one of us is in the studio. Somebody has to run the equipment, I guess. So that, that, that's me. I drew the, I drew the short straw. Thanks hey man, for I'm just volunteering. Happy. We're, we're, we're all in the same place, and one of us is finally not in the air. That's true. I'm pretty happy about that, too. Usually it's just Andrew. <laughs> this is true. Yeah. All right, so um, today we are going to kind of go back in time a little bit, and we're going to talk about something we covered on the podcast in episode 63. Uh, and the reason why is because we have released ONTAP 9.2. And this feature that we discussed was uh, released in as part of 9.2, and that feature is Fabric Pool. Uh, in that episode, we did kind of a brief overview of what it is. Uh, it wasn't real specific in terms of what it could do at the time because it hadn't been released yet. But now that it's been released, we can talk more specifically and concrete about it. So to do that, we have invited the Fabric Pool TME, John Lance, onto the show. Hi, John. Hey, guys. How's it going? Super. All right, so John, uh, I understand you're the Fabric Pool TME. How long have you been doing that for? <laughs> Since Fabric Pools existed. So hey, there you go. <laughs> All right. Uh, so John's going to walk us through what Fabric Pool is. But before we do that, John, if we wanted to get in touch with you on social media, do you have a social media account or a way for people to get in touch with you if you have more questions about Fabric Pool? I do not. I've gone dark because um, of stalkers. So, um, yeah, no, not on Twitter anymore. Wow, you, have stalk- <laughs> you had stalkers? long time ago yeah issue you know there's lawyers involved interesting okay we won't get into that um (laughs) john is john is actually recording from an undisclosed location um he's he's in the witness protection program Um, it's a dark room his name is actually not john um we're we're using john John lance's yeah yeah we're using john lance's his protected name Anyway, uh, so, John, I do know there's a Fabric Pool DL. What would that DL be if people want to ask Fabric Pool questions? So that is a great um, place, and I'll be happy to help there. Um, so that, that is uh, fabricpool-info at netapp.com. Um, more than happy to help. Is that Fabric Pool or Fabric Pools info? Pool, uh, no F. All right, fabricpool-info at netapp.com. All right. Correct. Uh, now that that's out of the way, uh, what we're going to do first <laughs> is we're going to – invite uh, our vice president for ONTAP as well as one of the technical directors to give us a brief overview of what the value prop for Fabric Pool is. Not, not that you can't do it, John, but these guys outrank you. So um, we're going to let them talk a little bit about that, and then we'll come back to John and have him give us a deep dive. We're here with Octavian Tanase of uh, NetApp. Uh, Octavian, if you could tell us what you do at NetApp and how we can get in touch with you on social media. Hey, Justin. Thanks for the opportunity. Um, I'm responsible for the ONTAP uh, product and, and engineering. And uh, I've been in this role for about a couple of years now. So you're like in charge of things, right? Uh, yes, yes. So Though I have plenty of help. Why are you slumming it with us? 
Uh, well, I, I think it's, this is an opportunity for, for, for me to reach many of our customers and our sales engineers who uh, are avid listeners to your pod, of, of your podcast. They're, okay. very, they're very thankful for your time today, that's for sure. Absolutely, as, as are we. All right, also, uh, lucky for us, we have Ravi Kavuri here. Uh, so, Ravi, if you could tell us what you do here at NetApp and um, how we can get in touch with you on social media if you have such a thing. Hey, uh, thanks, Justin. Uh, Ravi Kavuri, um, I uh, work as the VP of Engineering and uh, uh, Chief Architect for Data ONTAP. Um, my social media is uh, very limited. Um, this is actually my first experience with podcast. Thanks for inviting me. No problem. Um, the best way to best way to get hold of me is uh, probably via my email, uh, first name that last name, ravi.kaburi at netapp.com. Excellent. So you don't do the Twitters, huh? Smart man. Yeah. Don't don't, don't debase yourself. Yeah. It's a, Octavian does it for both of us. Yeah. It's a it's a yeah it's a slippery slope. It's a downward spiral. <laughs> All right, enough of that. Uh, so let's talk about what we came here to talk about, and that is Fabric Pool. So this whole episode is dedicated to Fabric Pool, and we go into a deep dive later on with John Lance. But what I wanted to do first was give an overview of Fabric Pool in terms of value prop for our customers and our partners, as well as some of the decision-making that went into introducing Fabric Pool into ONTAP. So let's first start off with uh, Fabric Pool itself and what value it adds. Uh, if you could tell us why people would want to use something like Fabric Pool. So I think the um, the opportunity for for our customers is is very simple. Um, they make huge investments uh, on in developing and, and deploying mission critical infrastructure in in their data centers, and one of their main concerns is the, the overall you know cost of ownership. So Whatever solution um, that can help them, you know, overall reduce the the, the TCO of um, of what they you know of what they deploy, it's you know usually a hit with our, with our customers. And you've seen us invest a lot in data reduction technologies, and and rapidly release that in non-tap 9.0, 9.1, and, and and so forth. Uh, and Fabricool, it's an interesting, you know, very innovative technology. Um, where we are looking to enable smart tiering, seamless tiering based on our deep understanding of the data. And we're doing that at the block level, the most efficient way you know, to do it. This is not a traditional HSM um, type of a, an approach. And based on the temperature of a, of a block, uh, we make some decisions to, to bunch uh, a bunch of that, uh, a bunch of these code blocks and move them to an object store target. That, that target could be either on-prem or, or in the cloud, and we enable this, uh, this seamless steering to get uh, the lowest cost of ownership uh, that they, you know, customer could expect. Okay, so I know you talk to a lot of customers about this sort of technology. What are they saying to you in return? Well, I, I think they're excited to, uh, to, to explore it. Um, at times, there is a little bit of a confusion and misconception that this is a you know, data protection, you know, type of technology, and, and that is incorrect. Um, this is a smart, seamless healing, you know, solution. All right, Robbie, do you have anything to add to all that? Um, no, I haven't uh, covered quite a bit. You know, there's one thing that I can add is, you know, the way we design the fabric pools, right, is um, it's not necessarily about 
flash or disk sort of a thing, right? We approached it and said, I think the world is going to be, there's a performance storage and there's a capacity storage. How do we bridge that gap where the, by observing the data, the access trends, right? Understanding the metadata, we can make intelligent decisions about moving less frequently used data to a capacity tier, right? It may turn out to be today the capacity tier is, you know, based out of, um, you know, object stores that are built out of disks. Tomorrow, that object store may be running on top of capacity flash, for example, right? Where there's not even a concern about the the performance of retrieval of that data. So, you know, think of it like this is a technology that we developed with the performance storage and the capacity storage. Whatever happens to be the future performance and capacity storage, I think we're covered from an architecture standpoint that it is quite extensible. That's interesting. I hadn't even thought about that. But yeah, since we have that heat map on a block-by-block -block basis, we can leverage that any way we want to in the future. So you future-proofed it. believe that it's just a matter of time until the, you know, the whole data centers will become based on, on flash technologies or storage class memory. So it's just a you know, transition that is waiting to happen, and, and this architectural uh, decision that, that, that we've made will, uh, will stand the test of time. Yeah, it further kind of goes along with the whole thinking that Flash is not something that's magic and special. It's another type of media, right? We're just putting it on another media type, uh, one that's a little faster, one that has a better capacity and density. But overall, it's just the next evolution in how we handle our storage devices. Well, I think uh, ONTAP has a long history of uh, decisions, architectural decisions that stood the test of time. You know, we can go back uh, many years to replicate snapshots or the, the original file, you know, waffle file system. We're very proud of the, the, the heritage of the, the innovation in ONTAP, as well as, uh, you know, some of the, the new, you know, aspects uh, and the areas of innovation in the area of flash, software defined, and, and so forth. Not too bad for yeah, a dinosaur, the, huh? <laughs> the, the, the other thing I would mention, right, is um, as we were designing the fabric pools, one of the, the things that we wanted to, to take into consideration, um, it is not necessarily the first time somebody has cleared the data, but it always comes with, uh, with a cost associated with that. And the cost is not necessarily about just the performance impact but the amount of interaction that a customer needs to have in setting up these complicated policies, right? And, you know, the simplicity was one of the driving factors when we designed the way the fabric pulse is going to work, where a customer doesn't have to go in and say, oh, you know, if the data is owned by this particular user, has not been accessed by such and such. Those kind of policies get very, very complex in a large environment that we operate in. And you're constantly caring and feeding for those policies. So what we said was, you know, the, 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 the way to approach this is the system knows most of the information regarding what data is hot, how is it being accessed, right? Uh, when is it being accessed? And take intelligent decisions. And what that does to, to the customer is not only are they managing complex policies, but we within the system can preserve the storage efficiency, preserve the uh, the security and the, the, the access control policies, and encrypt the data before we actually clear it, which means the customer doesn't have to worry about, Ooh, I wonder what happens if I take part of the data and move it somewhere else? How does it impact something else it is related to? Does it impact my backup policies? Does it impact my test dev environment? 
they don't have to worry about that. It's just a seamless integration. And, and you know, if I can summarize it, um, the, the philosophy, it's the right bite at the right cost at the right place is what we're continuously managing it to. You should uh, get into marketing, Robbie. That's a pretty good tagline there. It is. <laughs> <laughs> I, I even like, had a jingle in my head going on. The right bite at the right price. Anyway, I all right. I've been in engineering for a while. You think I can't join? I can't join your band. <laughs> You're assuming I have any musical capabilities. No. Well, that makes two of us. All right. Do we have anything else we want to add there, uh, Ravi and Octavian? You know, I just uh, Octavian touched on this, right? I want to emphasize again. When I think about the the conversations that I have with the customers, right, the two important things at the top of their mind are, one is, you know, how do I capitalize on the flash and the trends around the flash where it's not just about the performance, it's about the data center economics, right? It's uh, it's the power, the cooling, the data center footprint. For sure. Flash is becoming extremely pervasive, right? So that's at the top of the mind and say, customers are worried about, hey, how can I take all of my primary and, and, and quite a bit of my secondary as well to an all-flash data center. The second thing that they're worried about is, hey, how do I capitalize on the economics of the cloud, not only for the purpose of using it for abundance of you know uh, infrastructure that's available, but it turns a lot of my invest from you know uh, into CapEx to an OpEx, so pay-per-use model, right? Fabric Pools is a unique technology that brings both of those fundamental trends and allows the customers to move to an all-flash data center all at the same time, um, you know, moving the, 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 the colder data to the cloud, be it private cloud or public cloud. And it separates that notion that I have to have manage both of them in my same data center and, and, and gives the, the, the best flexibility. And, that I, you know, that's what I'm really proud of that, uh, that we built. Uh, that the, you know, those are the two main trends that the customers are worried about. All right, there you go. There you have it. Octavian and Ravi Kavori gave us the rundown of the value prop of FabricPool. So, John, let's talk about what FabricPool does from a technical perspective. So I think even on before you get, you know, kind of what playing off of what they mentioned was one of the best things about FabricPool is that it's transparent to your apps. So it's all done behind the scenes and, you know, at the storage level and on tap. So it's super easy for folks to take advantage of it. Um, I think the big part here is that if you have a customer with a large storage footprint and lots of inactive data, um, I mean, everybody has some data set that's just sitting there, but there's some environments that are like 70% uh, where their footprint is cold. That's just a bad use of flash. Um, so, you know, and I'm, I mean, I say bad, um, I really mean expensive. <laughs> it's way more expensive than tearing it you know, over to an object store where, you know, you're spending, what, 25 bucks per terabyte. Um, so just playing off there um, is, that's, I think, one of the best, you know, features um, here. Um, and super easy. And the basic way you do it is you attach a capacity tier to an aggregate. Um, so you're going to take that object store, whether that's, you know, Amazon, you know, S3, or, you know, storage grid, web scale, um, and you're going to attach it to an aggregate. And then once you have that aggregate, you can kind of tier off, you know, you know, cold data in the volumes off to that capacity tier. Um, that's the really the gist of it is, you know, you attach a capacity tier and then you tier off data to it. Um, it has to be cold data. 
So, um, and you do that through some tiering policies that are set at the volume level. So attachment is way up on the aggregate. Um, at the volume level is where you're gonna set your actual tiering policies. Um, by default, ONTAP 9.2, um, the default policy is snapshot only. So um, any cold snapshot blocks that aren't being used by the active file system, they're automatically gonna get pushed off to the capacity tier. Um, other options, you can do backup where data is tiered directly to the capacity tier, um, provided the volume is, you know, a data protection destination. So, you know, snap mirrors, snap vault kind of target. Um, and if you just don't even want to tier something, you want it to stay hot, you know, on flash all the time, um, you just can set it to off. So all the tiering policies are set at the volume level, but where you're actually going to be tiering the data to, you know, S3 or storage grid, that's all at the aggregate level. Um, kind of the way it works is in ONTAP now, there's a temperature engine that's kind of going through, you know, all your files in the back end, you know, slowly but surely, and it's determining a temperature value. And, you know, as, as soon as something gets red, you know, it's hot. Um, if it's not red, you know, that temperature engine kind of keeps, you know, slowly cooling it off. Um, and eventually, you know, normally it takes about 48 hours or so, um, things get cold enough where the temperature scan is gonna kick it off to the capacity tier. Um, when that happens, you know, the, the tiering scan is gonna collect all the cold box, it's gonna package them into, you know, four meg objects, and then it's gonna move those objects over to the capacity tier. So it's, you know, roughly, you know, about 1,004K blocks get put into a four meg object, um, and then they get moved over. Um, really, the only catch here is, you know, what sort of, you know, tiering policy you set on the volume, and the aggregate has to have, you know, at least be used, you know, 50%. So if, you know, you're only using 20% of that aggregate, there, there's no reason to, you know, start tiering stuff off to, you know, the object store. Um, but as soon as you cross that threshold, and now, you know, you know 50% of your flash is being used, you'll start tiering off the cold data, you know, over to the capacity tier. So John, um, a couple of questions for you. Yeah. So one, this is specifically for all flash fasts, or will this work with a traditional fast that maybe has an all flash aggregate, or even a traditional fast with a hybrid aggregate? So today, um, it's going to work as long as your aggregate is flash. So it's clearly all flash fast. You know, all the AFS controllers, no problem. But you can have like an old school, you know, FAS controller, and provided your aggregate is all SSD, um, you can run Fabric Pool on it. Um, if you do have an aggregate that has, you know, some SSD and some HDD, it's not going to work. You know, the aggregate has to be completely flash. Gotcha. So, is there any kind of, like, do we put a, a latency requirement or anything like that on that object store? You know, do we have to have so many milliseconds of latency to AWS or something like that? So we don't, but we definitely have a best practice. You can try it, you know, however you want and whatever's going to work for your environment. But if you have, you know, say a direct connect <laughs> using like a 10 gig direct connect to S3, your performance is going to be significantly better than if you're just, you know, doing, you know, straight over, you know, the TLS like everybody else. Um, so we're looking for about 40 millisecond latency um, and, you know, a 10 gig direct connect if you can do it. Um, you're going to get the best performance there. So you, you mentioned that it looks at files to determine how hot or cold the data is. Is it is it really files or is it blocks that it's looking at? 
So it's blocks. It's going and looking at 4K blocks. And it's grabbing those blocks as soon as they become cold, you know, after, you know, it takes you know, the, the tearing kind of engine a while to cool them down. Um, so roughly 48 hours. And then after that, it's going to start collecting those. And they're all coming from the same volume, and they're going to get packaged into an object. So, and is that tiering engine, is it more uh, sophisticated than simply, you know, has been accessed in the last 48 hours, yes or no? For the most part, that's it. It, it has been accessed. And it's not necessarily 48 hours. I'd say there's a certain time period. Um, that it's slowly getting colder and colder and colder, and eventually it becomes, you know, quote unquote, cold. And at that point, it's eligible to get moved over and packaged in, and then, you know, transported over to the capacity tier. Gotcha. And um, is that is that time period customizable? It is not. So, so good news, bad news. You know, you know, bad news is not customizable. Um, but good news, there's like almost no management overhead. It's, it's almost like a set it and forget it kind of thing, um, where slowly but surely, you know, your cold data. You know, today it's just you know snapshots or or backup. Um, it's slowly going to get you know cooled off and then moved over to you know reduce your your primary footprint. Gotcha. So, so coming out of the weeds a little bit. So, really, the target use case here is to free capacity on the the expensive. I'm using air quotes, right? Uh, the expensive flash capacity inside of your storage system, right? Yeah, you have you have this great you know flash performance, and why would you you know just sit and you know dead cold data on it? Um, so that's kind of the the. The primary use case is just to reclaim some of that primary storage by moving, you know, inactive cold data off to, you know, the capacity tier. Um, so part of the reason why it doesn't make for a good backup solution is so all the metadata or, you know, you know ACLs or directory info, you know, that kind of stuff, that's going to stay on the performance tier. So that's staying on Flash. So in general, um, that's about 10, maybe 20% of um, you know the data set um, and so that is always going to be hot um, on tap is going to be able to connect to it super fast and then if for whatever reason it's, it's referencing you know a snapshot or a backup um, and you do like a snap restore or something um, on tap is going to find it ultra fast you know using ssd and then it's going to redirect over to the capacity tier to, to pull those blocks back over so is there any indication of how much, roughly how much capacity this is saving on, on the flash aggregates? Yes. So that is going to be in, um, visible through on-command um, system manager, um, as well as doing, you know, just good old CLI in ONTAP. Um, and both will show, you know, here's what it looks like on the performance tier, as well as, you know, here's what it looks like on the capacity tier. Um, in general today, you know, we're saying, you know, Probably depends on your use case, depends on, you know, your customer's environment. It's generally probably about 20% or less um, being used by snapshots that you could expect to, to get moved over. And that number is going to be a lot higher um, for, you know, your secondary storage, you know, where you're keeping all your backups. Um, so it, it really kind of depends on what use case you're doing. Uh, today it's primarily snapshots and backshot and, and backup. Um, and so you can really reduce, you know, your secondary clusters um, using the backup kind of tiering policy. And if you're on your primary clusters, it's going to be pretty much, you know, snapshots only. 
So if if I'm taking a a snap mirror or a snap vault, right? I'm that that destination controller is an AFF in a secondary data center, any location for that matter, mm -hmm. right? Will the policy essentially keep the most recent data on the disks, and then all of the snapshots would be tiered off, or would it be the entire data set could potentially be uh, tiered down to to object storage? So if you're on a backup, so your secondary cluster, um, so that's that's a great use case for you know the the backup tiering policy. Um, Shocker, it's named appropriately. But um, what that, that you're going to be looking at there is you're still going to need some capacity just to because you're going to expect you know to pull back data from time to time, um, and as well as you know all that metadata, you know that still has to stay on you know the hot tier. Um, the performance tier, even on the secondary, but everything else can get pushed off to you know an S3 bucket in you know Amazon or Storage Grid. Sure, I, I was trying to figure out if you know does this mean that if I'm using SnapMirror, right? SnapMirror is a DR solution, so theoretically, mm -hmm. I might want to right at some point the 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 uh, uh, very unenviable right having to switch over has to happen you know would that mean that I could you know switch over and immediately the live data set or whatever the most recent mirror was is getting that all flash performance um, without having to wait for it to be pulled back from those is that no it, it's going to need to pull data back so that's going that's going to be as fast as your connection so again the best practice for Amazon is you do a direct connect. Um, and, you know, storage grid is normally kind of on-prem, so storage grid should be a lot faster. Um, I think, you know, our recommendation with storage grid is because storage grid, it scales out based on your node. So you kind of want to, you know, anticipate, you know, worst case, you know, DR scenario, how fast do you need that data back? And then, you know, scale out the number of nodes in storage grid to get the performance that you're looking for. So how, how does this affect the capacity that's attached, the physical capacity that's attached to the nodes? So can I have my primary system maybe have, you know, a, an aggregate that's 100 terabytes in size and and some amount of that consumed? Can my DR system be maybe 10 terabytes in size and have, you know, with so much data being tiered down into the object storage, does it need the ability to reconstitute all of that locally? So we're actually working uh, right now. Um, it might be available um, to SEs and partners. Don't know about customers yet, um, but there is kind of you know a capacity calculator um, that is going to be available, where you can kind of see you know what what are your workloads, what does your data set look like today, kind of plug in some numbers, and it, then you can do some kind of predictive analysis um, to determine what your secondary you know should look like, you know how big of a footprint. Is going to be on the you know on the AFF controller sitting at the top of that, or or just the FAS controller sitting at the top of that, provided it has you know SSD aggregates, um, and then kind of you know make a make a good prediction there. Um, but in the end, yeah, you could have you know 10% um, on your secondary, um, like as a performance tier, as the hot flash, and then you know 90% um, being the capacity tier in the object store. Um, and, and really what you're looking for there as far as making your kind of capacity, you know, judgments is how much am I going to need to pull back? Um, because when you're not pulling it back, when you're reading from the object store, um, even if that's storage grid in, in your, you know, data center, um, it's still going to be slower clearly than, you know, AFF, you know, all SSD aggregates. 
John, when, when we're using the snapshot option, you know, th this is this is the one thing that I'm I'm personally struggling with uh, when, when I try to like figure out where to put this solution and where to leverage it. I can see a lot of accounts who, who look at the snapshot option and go, man, this is a no-brainer because you're right. It's just 20% off every volume, right? Per perhaps more if you're dealing with a high mm -hmm. change rate workload. So, but, yes. But, <laughs> What's the problem, sir? <laughs> well, so my question is, is there a way for me to tell the system that I want to keep, like, what, I want 24 hours with the snapshots to be on disk and then the older stuff, tier it as, as possible. But but I want that. I want I want to be able to tell the system Hey, look, within a certain threshold for, for my own retention reasons, I need to ensure that those blocks are going to be on disk so my snap restore is deterministic and I don't have to do any pulls. Gotcha. Not in the 9.2 release. So in this release, um, all of that is just cooked in um, to the, the temperature algorithms, and you're looking at about roughly uh, 48 hours, so you can't set it for any sooner. Um, one thing I want to point out here is if – if you're using this to, you know, it's, it really shouldn't you be capacity that, you, that you're looking at because part of this is going to be performance. So if, you know, you don't touch something, there's no reads that take place in a 24-hour period, but they happen, you know, at the 26-hour, you're, you're paying additional costs um, if you're going the Amazon route, for example, um, and you're just doing, you know, additional, you know, throughput and latency if you're doing the, the storage grid example. It's just going to be slower. So you're kind of, um, the more you use the data over on the capacity tier, um, the less performative it's going to be. It, it's really for, you know, snapshots that you're hoping, you know, you, they're there for security and peace of mind, right? Um, it's not stuff where it's just, you don't want like all your cold and hot data um, that just hasn't been touched in a while, you know, like in a file share or something. Um, that would be awful if you start pulling that back every time, you know, someone touches it. Um, this had been longer than, you know, 48 hours, um, which is why we don't do it for, you know, the hot, you know, primary data. Um, snapshots, we feel more comfortable about moving them over to the capacity tier after about 48 hours. Um, it's possible things could change in the future and we can make that customizable, um, but today, um, through the testing we've done internally, we're pretty happy with the 48-hour kind of time set and where we're kind of confident that, okay, if it hasn't been touched in this amount of time, um, chances are it won't be touched in a while, and we're comfortable moving it over to the capacity tier. Except for the instance where we're dealing with the with data protection mirror, and we set it to the backup policy, in which case there it will go in and tear out of the AFS, out of the active file system, if it needs to? So, again, it, it has to be like a DR use case yeah. for there. So, yeah. And if, if for whatever reason that you are kind of doing a, a kind of a backup off of it, um, then yes, um, it's going to come off of the, the capacity tier, get kind of moved back over to the performance tier on, on your secondary, because you basically converted your secondary into a primary at that point. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, so, sorry to d dig down into all these weeds, but but uh, uh, this is one of those technologies where I feel like we actually need to go over it with a fine-tooth comb and just make sure that the listeners really kind of understand what's going on, um, because it's only then that they're going to be able to spot the workloads that where it's going to be appropriate. Absolutely. Well, so that's why, you know, to your point, you know, the snapshot only is but the, the default um, for any sort of volume yeah. kind of care policy. It's on by default because that one's pretty much a no-brainer. I just feel like we need to get out ahead and and uh, you know like an account, for instance, that that's deploying Snap Manager for SQL or or Snap Center rather, um, 
they're going to want to know to go in on those volumes. If, if they're really counting on that snapper store for business continuity reasons, we don't want that. We don't want those snapshots to leave the controller, right? Yeah. They've left the controller. It's just going to be slow to bring them back. The ONTAP doesn't know that they're anywhere different. It's just slower because they are on the object store at that point. So, so one, one, quick, one quick question, and, and I know now we're now I'm just totally borrowing trouble and living in all the, the negative scenarios, but uh, I'm super <laughs> curious. Uh, Amazon has problems, right? You know, it, it is well defined that this is durability through the roof. The data will be there when you get to it, but availability, eh, not so much. So what happens if we, uh, we, we end up in one of those unfortunate events where Waffle gets a request in the front end and it needs to get a block and then it goes and it does that get and it, it can't get to the S3 bucket? It's going to report an error and say, hey, I, I can't reach there right now. Let me keep trying. Um, so you know, good news, Amazon, you know, four nines. Um, bad news, if you need five nines, you know, we, we've seen it happen, especially depending on, you know, what region you're in um, pretty recently. Um, so it is possible that you, you're not going to have connectivity. Um, in those cases, you know, it's still going to keep bringing back everything that it can, but as soon as it can't, it's just going to report errors back to ONTAP saying, I can't get it right now, let me keep trying. So would that manifest, uh, I mean, I guess, like, the this would really only occur if we were dealing with either a, a a backup volume set where we were we were making it active, right? We were failing over to the backup, or mm -hmm. we were doing that snapper store. Yeah. And in either instance, I assume the volume would just like what happens there is the volume just offline, and and you can't get at it until nope. it can finish those puts, or does it just go? Ah, I can't do the restore, so we're going to stay in the active file system. So it, it's not the whole volume, so a lot of, so it depends on those blocks. It's looking, remember, it's a, it's a block level. So if a block can't be restored, that's the one that's going to report back saying, I don't have connectivity to this one right now. Um, for any blocks that are on, you know, the performance tier already, it's going to restore them no problem. So it, it's going to restore everything that it, that it possibly can, um, provided the connectivity that it has today. Um, which generally means everything on the performance tier is going to get restored and anything on the capacity tier, you're just waiting until connectivity is restored. Gotcha. That's awesome, man. I, you know, again, I think we're, Sully and I are doing a little bit of borrowing trouble, but we're just trying to make sure we ask all the questions that we know that the listeners wish we did. Uh, I, I think that uh, particularly for, for V1, right, first swing at, at trusting someone else with our customers' data and figuring out how to build these uh, uh, pools of, of, of multi-different uh, resources. I love the way that you guys have built it. Uh, I think it's exactly what the customers have asked for. And it makes a ton of sense to start with that, that data protection data that you know, all of our customers use. Snapshots have been part of our value prop for 20 years. Yeah, and it, it, I don't think of these as like, I don't think you're, you're taking me through the, the ringer at all. I mean, part of it is, you know, it's, you know, a uh, cost-benefit kind of thing. It's like, you know, you are going to get a significantly cheaper <laughs> storage and moving it over to an object here, you know, kind of class storage. The flip side is, you know, performance and, you know, possible connectivity um, change. So it's you're, you're kind of, you know, six of one, half a dozen of the other, you know, and in general, um, I think, you know, and, and thank you for kind of trusting us, at least for this initial release for, you know, setting it at 48 hours. In general, we haven't, I personally definitely haven't seen connectivity issues during my time with it. Um, all those happened about a month before I started doing testing. Um, 
But so I haven't seen those issues, but we know that they are possible. Um, so part of it is just, you know, can I wait to get, you know, that snapper store up, um, you know, between the now and then, you know, whenever Amazon is going to reestablish connectivity. Um, so good news, there's like pretty much zero data loss, but, but what we have seen, uh, not me personally, but we know all from just you know, reading the news that Amazon can in fact go down sometimes. Um, so I think they're taking efforts to uh, reduce the chances of that happening again. Um, but if you don't have connectivity to that optic store, um, you're not gonna be able to connect to the, the blocks that are being um, held there. Um, so that is kind of really the only caveat in, in my mind um, for Fabric Pool. Um, you're, you free up your flash for you know, your performance workloads that you need and you know, your backup footprint um, significantly reduced because um, you're moving it over to where it's you know, a lot cheaper. Outstanding. So, John, now that they put you through the ringer, I have a softball question for you. <laughs> sure. Is this backup? This is not backup. Hey, Remember there we go. Of- We're done. Then how come we got awesome. a policy called backup? Yeah, so that's that's the thing, right? So a lot of people they look at this and like, oh, cool, I can get rid of tape now, but you can't, right? Uh, so we don't support tape actually. Um, backup policy um, is their version of you know basically on your secondary cluster. So when they're thinking backup, I guess um, you know I wasn't the guy that got to name this, um, but when they were thinking, they were thinking the secondary cluster. So kind of your your targets, all your snap mirror, snap vault kind of targets. Um, that's what they were thinking of backup. The, the catch here is kind of we we talked about it one more time, but you know we I don't mind saying it as many times as we need to. You know all the metadata, the directory info, you know your ACLs, all that kind of stuff is going to stay on the performance tier. Um, so if your performance tier goes down, um, although all the rest of the data can get you know pulled back from capacity, it doesn't matter without the metadata. So you can't do like a true backup without the performance tier being available. Um, so, which is different versus say like an Alta Vault or like a true kind of backup solution. So this is not backup, no. <laughs> this is a great way to reduce your footprint. This is how we get 12 pounds in the five pound bag. Yes. <laughs> Or, or more, <laughs> but yes. Precisely. So slightly harder question. Are we going to count fabric pools against our storage efficiency ratios? I don't know. That's a good question. I don't know. Um, the way it works today is all of the storage efficiency kind of goodness, um, whether that's compaction or compression, et cetera, et cetera, all that happens on, on tap, on the performance level, and it's cooked into the blocks. Um, so they're already kind of compressed and made as efficient as possible before they're pushed over the wire um, and stored on you know, the object store. So we're taking advantage of it on our end. Um, there's no really additional stuff that's going to happen on the capacity tier because um, we've really done the hard work in ONTAP already. Um, so that's kind of how it works today. Yeah, but I guess what I was thinking of was if we're saving space more or less by moving snapshot blocks that are not used off of the storage, technically you could call that a storage efficiency. And I'm wondering if that's going to somehow play into that at some point. I haven't seen that yet. So that would be curious because those numbers would be significantly larger than what people are seeing today. And 
I don't want to say disingenuous, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm glad they're not. <laughs> yeah, I'll say it. it. I'm glad they're not. Let's put it that way. They're not being reported. <laughs> yeah, that 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 is not an efficiency. Putting the data in someone else's store is not an efficiency. Well, no, you're you're saving space on your flash disk and putting it into uh, uh, cheap and deep, whatever. But yeah, no, I agree. Absolutely, but but we don't look at flash pools and go, hey, look, when we move this 4K block. You know, from when we copy a, a, an instance of it up into the SSD tier for for extra, you know, that's not an efficiency. That's just a, a data management technique. Yeah. So um, I don't think it is. Well, yeah, I I don't think it is either. But I'm just one maybe, thing I wanted yeah. to to bring up um, really quick is so if you're tiering stuff using Fabric Pool off to Storage Grid, um, that is totally free. It's just a, a feature of ONTAP. Um, likewise, if you're using, so I'm, my realm is mostly ONTAP, but for the folks that are using ONTAP Cloud, um, when they tier stuff, it's also completely free for everything. Um, big catch uh, right now for ONTAP 9.2, which is why I want to make a shout out on the podcast, is um, right now a license is required um, and you can buy it per terabyte, um, but during the first 90 days of you know, the 9.2 release, please, please, please reach out to your sales rep and you can get 10 terabytes free. Um, so that means you can you know, use you know, Amazon S3 as your capacity tier um, at no additional cost to you. Um, and that's only gonna be available in you know, a special limited time offer, Sunday, 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 is you know, 10 terabytes free um, tiering over to you know, non-NetApp providers. Um, today, that's you know, AWS S3. Tomorrow, that might be additional. Um, but there is a cost there on a per terabyte kind of capacity basis. Um, and you get 10 terabytes free um, if you contact your sales rep um, during the first 90 days of ONTAP 9.2. Cool. Uh, and this is only AWS, not Azure or any other cloud providers, right? Correct. So we only do S3 today, but that license is um, goes to every non-NetApp one. So if you want to do S3 today and maybe someone else tomorrow, um, it, that license counts. Um, so it's just the Fabric Pool license, and it's really for for non-NetApp providers. How do we how do we actually account that on the back end? Is is that is that how much data we ship off to the cloud, or like like because we we could have a certain amount of dedupe and oversubscription going into that. So, so how are we actually like accounting that against? The We're license? looking at like number of uh, bytes that have moved over to the cloud. So, and that's so that in good news, that's like real data that's there. It's not like, yeah. you know, they, they, they're not looking at RAID like we are when they, when they have, you know, 20 terabytes, um, it's really 20 terabytes versus, you know, what that really means to us, you know, in, our, in a RAID, you know, kind of shelf environment. Um, so it's it's just looking at the bytes that go across the wire. You know, that, I, I would imagine that would have the inadvertent effect of of making the cost somewhat deterministic. The, the customer would know going in how much they could expect that that backend S3 you know storage to be utilized. Yeah, because at some point, so you're gonna say say you get that 10 terabyte uh, free license, which I highly recommend you do. Um, so once you get that, um, ONTAP is just gonna stop tiering after 10 terabytes. So it knows that there's 10 terabytes have been moved over um, and now there's no more room. And so the tiering stops um, until, you know, you add capacity by contacting your sales rep and just, you can, you can continually add to that capacity kind of base license. Um, but tiering just stops once you hit the limit. I mean, considering that this is, this is, this is on tap, right? So this is all block aware, dedupe aware, taking advantage of all of our efficiencies 
you know, the, as you said, all the metadata is at home. We're just moving the actual 4K blocks themselves. You know, I, it, yeah, that that little bit of information is very exciting. I actually think customers are going to love that um, because yeah. it, so we that made would be it one thing where small. you could not being able to control that how big that bucket would grow. I would be a little afraid of that. You know, just because you're, you're, the cloud is super cheap for a little while. You know, super mm -hmm. long-term storage, it can get up there. So I would want. I, I, I love the fact that that the licensing model, in 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 a way, just gives us a, sim a simple way to control that growth. Yeah. So you can always add more, and if you don't want to, you don't have to. Um, and again, please, you know, for for those that have access, you know, please reach out, take a look at the capacity calculator, because you, you'll be kind of you'll be able to see, you know, where where is the breakpoint for you? Like, is that you know. Is at 500 terabytes? Is it more? Is it less? You know, there there's different breakpoints for for different customers where it makes more sense to just you know add you know another controller or you know go the storage grid route or go you know the Amazon route. So there's there's different solutions to kind of meet you know your budget and you know what you're looking for. So it just occurred to me that we've been talking about snapshots and loading them off onto cloud. But we didn't actually cover why snapshots might need to do that. And I think we need to do a little one-on-one of snapshots because not everyone knows why snapshots might be problematic in storage uh, devices. You know, why would they take up space? Because a lot of people just think about snapshots and think, oh, it's just pointers to data, right? So, John, if you could, give us an overview of why a snapshot might take up more space than you would like it to. So I guess at its most basic level, a snapshot is kind of like a diff, you know, from a point in time. Um, so if that is going to be different today and it's different tomorrow and it's different the next day, you're right, it's a pointer to data, but, you know, it has to keep that piece of data, you know, you know, yesterday, today, you know, the next day. It's going to keep them, and those build up over time. And at least what I've seen and the, the research I've been doing, it's, you know, you can see up to 20%. I've seen some people in crazy environments where it's, you know, 70%. But in general, it's going to be 10 to 20% of just, you know, diffs is what they're holding. And that's all the different snapshots for all the different, you know, you know policies that they've set up. And so that it, you know, if I need to execute, you know, policy A, which was going back 30 weeks ago, or policy B, which is, you know, my five-minute policy, I, I can pick and choose, you know, whichever one I want. But there, there's a snapshot, you know, a block for, for all of those. Um, and over time, that gets bigger and bigger and bigger. I think the max that we do for policies is uh, 255, 254, 256, somewhere around there. So there is a limit um, to the number of policies you can have, but that can be a pretty big data set. Um, depending on, you know, your environment and what those policies look like. Yeah, and specifically what happens is you when you take a snapshot, it locks blocks in place, like you said, so you can have them later. What, what, what good is a snapshot if you can't restore it later? Um, where it actually grows, where you see the growth, is when data starts to get deleted. So if you have a high-churn environment and you start to delete things over time, that snapshot you took way back a month ago could potentially grow very large if you delete a large data set over that month. So... That's where you're going to see the most churn and the most growth of your snapshots. And if you want to keep things for a while, especially when you're dealing with like snapball environments, you know, because you can keep more than like, you know, a set number of snapshots for that environment, you're going to see a lot more data usage out of those snapshots than you would for just, you know, daily snapshots that you maybe get rid of every week. And, you know, those big diffs, kind of those large snapshots that you got to pull back. 
that's again why I highly recommend if if you have the means, I highly recommend it. Um, go for like you know Direct Connect. Um, you know, 10 gig is the best way to go, um, just because that can be really slow. Um, my personal experience doing you know a couple terabytes um, is is painfully slow without Direct Connect. You know, you're just using you know as, as good as your TLS connection is to the closest you know Amazon region. Um, so that that can be slow. And when you're talking, you know, terabytes and terabytes of data, um, Direct Connect is absolutely the way to go. Or, so, you know, storage grid, because it's on your network already. So that leads me to another thought. So let's say we have a snapshot that's multiple terabytes in size, and eventually that rolls off. And it's already been, in the, you know, moved to the cloud through Fabric Pool. What happens when I delete that snapshot? Does it have to get pulled back to the primary, or does it get deleted in the cloud? It's going to get deleted in the cloud. So it's kind of cool. So the way it works is the second, um, so the way those objects work, they're all, you know, four meg objects. Um, and the way that they're composed is, you know, you know by roughly 1,004K blocks um, with some metadata sprinkled in there. Um, and the second that, you know, all of those blocks are no longer referenced, either they've been deleted or they're no longer referenced by ONTAP, they're going to get blown out um, from your capacity tier. So you don't have to worry about them anymore. Um, so that's how you kind of reclaim the capacity tier. You know, you, you have that, you know, however 10 terabyte, you know, limit um, you know, or whatever, you know, you've set it to. You get that data back as soon as it's, it's not referenced anymore in ONTAP. Um, the flip side of that is if, if even one of those 4K blocks is being referenced, that object is going to stay there. Um, so we're going to keep that object as long as, as you need it. So if ONTAP still needs any any block in, um, in that object, um, the object is going to remain on the capacity tier. We're not going to get rid of it until every single block um, is no longer needed. That's cool. So I'm not going to have to cost. It's not going to cost me money just to delete data then. No. Just summarize: a fabric pool is not a backup. What it is actually is is a an aggregate that's been extended to cloud to allow us to tear off data so we don't use our expensive and you know, production-ready flash for data that is not being used, right? Yep. All right. That's and pretty much it. Yeah, it's, it's just simple. And to ONTAP and to, you know, your customers and your apps, like, they don't know the difference. You know, the storage admin, like, they know um, where their data is, and they know that, you know, hey, this, this cold data that I never use is technically somewhere else. But as, as far as, you know, you're operating your storage operating system, you know, ONTAP, and everything else, like, they're oblivious to it. You know, it's all part of the same volume. Um, so it's not an issue to them. All right, anything else? Some questions might come up, like, does ONTAP select or Metro Cluster, you know, support this? Um, not today. Um, trying to think, do you support HDD aggregates, you know, good old spinning media? Not today. You still need, you know, flash on your performance tier. Um, trying to think of like any other gotchas and there there's not so many right now and it really there wouldn't be because you've limited this release to kind of be a snapshot only tier right so and that's that's by design i mean that's the way the six-month cadence works you get a new feature but you don't get all the bells and whistles right up front because we want to make sure the feature is baked and developed properly but we, you get the feature faster but then you also have to wait on the extended attributes of that feature yeah, so bells and whistles are coming, but like like we've said a couple times, you know, this is the no-brainer kind of use cases where 
it's it's really hard to almost impossible to to shoot yourself in the foot, you know, pushing snapshots over. It it, it really just makes sense. Yeah, and and, and I. I... I have full confidence, man. You guys just start iterating with the customers and start getting real requirements, working with with accounts, getting this deployed. We'll we'll figure out what works, what doesn't work, and and this thing will get evolved into one hell of a one hell of a tool for our customers for sure. All right, John. Thanks so much for talking to us about Fabric Pool, giving us a little better view of what to expect in 9.2 and how it works. Uh, again, if you want to get in touch with John Lance or talk about Fabric Pools, how do we do that, John? Fabric Pool dash info at netapp.com. If you're a, a partner or someone out in the field, um, please have a look at the field portal. You're going to get, you know, you know, the SE technical presentation, the Fabric Pool technical fact, you know, lots of different webcasts and, you know, quick setup guides, lots of references. Um, for, you know, the public, you know, customers that are interested in learning about Fabric Pool and how to take advantage of it in their environment, um, please have a look at uh, TR4598. All right, TR4598, we'll include that in the show notes slash blog. Again, thank you so much, John, for joining us today uh, and teaching us more about Fabric Pool. All right, that music tells me it's time to go. If you'd like to get in touch with us, send us an email to podcast at netup.com or send us a tweet at netup. As always, if you'd like to subscribe, find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher, or via techontechpodcast.com, or check out our YouTube channel that we just went, launched. Uh, if you like the show today, leave us a review. On behalf of the entire Tech on Tech podcast team, I'd like to thank John Lance for joining us today to talk about Fabric Pool. As always, thanks for listening. So, John, just uh, heads up, I'm going to call you the lifeguard of the Fabric Pool. Okay, I like that. <laughs> so you're going to have to work on your beach bod. Yeah, they watch in Germany, right, David Hasselhoff? Yeah, well, I mean, I'm a little worried because you have stalkers, and I don't want anyone to get too excited about that. (laughs) We are on YouTube, (laughs) and Andrew's Andrew's going to star in it. I I got red shorts. (laughs) Can you imagine Andrew running up the beach with the little red floaty? I'm trying to remember the theme song. I will protect you or something. I don't know. Pamela Anderson running very slowly. The Hasselhoff. That's all I got. Yeah, I'm adding that. I'm adding the song to the end of this. <laughs> it, it's timely too because I think they're re-releasing it with The Rock, right? Yeah, they've they already re- and Zac Efron. I, oh, geez. And it's yeah, a train wreck. Just, yeah, just kill me now. I don't want to see like remakes of anything. I don't mind a remake as long as it. Well, this isn't really. It's not really a remake. They never did a Baywatch movie, so it's basically a movie of the TV show. There was Bay, Baywatch Nights. Yeah. I remember. Yeah. Come on, yeah. Like this ran its course. There are so many hundreds of thousands of books that have never even been looked at. We don't need to go and do this again. No, man. We got to re- keep recycling the same ideas again because it's cheaper. I'm, does, now, does, now I'm kind of hungry for new... flash fiction on Amazon that's uh, Baywatch related. Wait, does the new Baywatch sit on NetApp storage? There's a good chance it does. Um, I changed my mind. I love that show. <laughs> it's fantastic. I can't wait for it to come out.